0: Ah, it's good to see you. The first Sunday of 2024. So time for some changes. So here's some of the changes. The middle schoolers are, are meeting. They're in here for the music. And then the middle schoolers are going to be in the youth room starting today. So some of them are leaving right now. Good for them. There's uh, how many New Year's resolutions about either sugar or, or carbs being reduced? Anybody? So are you going to admit to this? A few, right? So notice the snacks are gone. So instead of donuts after, we had the appeal can I I don't need that temptation. So uh get me be behi- get get thee behind me donuts, really is I guess what we we're talking about. So the snacks that are usually in here will be for after cuz we still want you to go out and turn left after. We're still working on community. That's our big resolution, our big goal of 2024 is the concept of third spaces. Have you uh have you heard this concept? So my dad was born in 1990. Wow, 105 years ago this year. So when I grew up with in New York in the 70s, I'm the youngest of six, of um, six kids, my mom and dad. There was the home and the work, right? We all have two spaces, home and work. But what, we, what we're missing these days is we're all stressed out and alone is we don't have the third space. My mom and dad were active at church, and then my dad was a World War II veteran, so they were very active in the VFW, the Veterans of Foreign Wars. They had their, their third spaces. We had people over all the time. We went to people's houses all the time. We don't do that now. We're, we go to, we're home, and we go to work, and we come back home, and I, was, I thought the number was five hours a day is what we average on screens, so I looked it up this week. 11 hours a day is what the average American spends a day on screens. So I'm not sure if this counts, but it might. It might co- count towards my screen time. Instead of talking to the person in front of us, 11 hours every day on screens. So what we're working on is uh, a third spaces concept. The audacious goal is this spring, we were going to do this in the fall, but we were working on merging with a a larger church, and we're still working on that, so whether it happens or not. We are, we're going to focus on third spaces, which means one day a week I'm going to ask you to meet in a small group and you're, have your people over to your house or you go to their house, and, and you don't believe that's even possible. So I have about 37 minutes here to try to uh, convince you that this is a good idea. The, uh, the, the, the water, you should be carrying a water bottle if you're new to Tucson, but the water that we have the cups, by the the drinking fountains we're just going to try some new new things this year we're trying to have some some meeting spaces and there's a sign-up sheet in the lobby there's a sign-up sheet in the lobby and it comes down to this so my dad born in 1919 i i loved my dad he lived into his 90s which is remarkable because he was a new yorker and he was a heavy drinker and a heavy smoker until mom told him to knock off the booze long before I came along. They got married in 1947. As they drove away from the church in New York in 1947, my mom said, whew, next time I get married, I'm going for a smaller wedding. My dad mocked her for 64 years on that. He didn't remember much on his deathbed, but he did remember my mom saying that. They, My dad was a, he was a World War II soldier, so he smoked cigarettes and he was a heavy drinker. And My mom said, that's it. You have to, It's me or the booze. And fortunately for me, dad chose my mom. So there was no drinking of any kind in the house. We grew up with soda water because that's what you mix with, right? And so my dad couldn't have the alcohol, but he could still have the bubbles. And he drank coffee right up until bedtime every night of his life. Uh, black, straight black coffee, usually Folgers, nothing but the best. And, uh, and that's how he coped. But the cigarettes stayed and they're the reason my dad became a Christian. So my dad grew up sort of Jewish. I mean, he grew up Jewish, but they didn't believe anything about God. They got the money stuff right, but they didn't believe anything about God. So he grew up semi-Jewish, and he marries my mom, the Christian. And my, it was my oldest brother when he was seven who said, how come I have to go to church if dad doesn't go to church? And so my mom, who's also a New Yorker, looked at my dad with that look. And then dad got ready and put on his suit, and he went to church for the first time in his life other than his actual wedding. And he liked the minister, fortunately. And my mom said, I need for you to knock off the cigarettes. It costs money, and it stinks. So my mom said, I'll make a deal with you. You quit smoking, and I'll keep kissing you. But it's a choice for you. But you make that. And so my dad then needed to give up cigarettes in 1955 when it was still advertised everywhere. Everywhere you went, people were, were smoking. And so he goes to church, and the minister says, if you need help with something, pray to God. And my dad thought, all right, let's try this. And he said, okay, God, I need your help to give up cigarettes. And he, and he, he t- would tell the story that he, he had a fervent nighttime prayer. I think that was his motivation because it was nighttime and mom had made her rule. So he wakes up the next morning, and he is disgusted by cigarettes. He he would tell the story and say, your mom was right. Cigarettes are gross. They're disgusting. So he cleaned out all the ashtrays because people would still come over and smoke. It was, you know, even in the 70s, they would do that. So there were ashtrays in our house. But he uh, stopped cigarettes. He gave away his leftovers, never smoked cigarettes again for the rest of his life. And he thought, well, if Jesus can overcome nicotine addiction, I'm on board. So he got baptized because of cigarettes. My dad ended up going to seminary and and, uh, becoming a lay pastor and the whole bit. Really sold out to Jesus. I grew up with a Bible reading, coffee drinking, Jesus dad because of cigarettes. And my older brother making fun of him. However, I'm the youngest of six. None of us smoke. There's not much drinking in the group. But there's a mixed view on miracles in my family. I'm the I'm the committed Christian of the six of us. Because my dad, on a regular basis, would bring out his pipe. And it'd be the whole ceremony like an old movie. And he would the tobacco smoke of a, of a pipe is much sweeter than a cigarette. So mom was fine with, with his smoking a pipe in the house, in the car. You could tell my dad's stress level by how much the chimney was going. If there was a lot of smoke, then dad was stressed about something. And he was a New Yorker. If you asked him, he would tell you. He didn't. I never, my dad never raised his voice. He was always home every night. But if, he, if the pipe was coming out a lot, there's probably trouble at work or with his in-laws. Who knows? But uh, you could always ask him, and he'll tell you. My siblings found it interesting that his big claim of Jesus at work about the miracle of giving up his cigarettes then led to the the pipe. But my dad came to see me one time. I was in radio in New York. And I said, what's up, Dad? And he said, I'm not smoking a pipe anymore. And I said, oh, going back to cigarettes? And he said, no, gave up smoking altogether. And I said, really? Tell me about that. And he said, well, I went to the doctor, and there was the emphysema stripe, and my doctor said, you need to stop smoking, Paul. You've done it long enough. He was in his 70s at the time, teenager through the seven, his, his 70s. And uh, the doctor said, I can give you the, there's the gum and the patch, and there's all the stuff. And my dad said, that's all right. And he just gave up smoking altogether because few things are as motivating as the threat of death. Can I get an amen? So, for my dad, he was willing to just walk away, but not until his 70s from smoking. He gave up drinking because it was that or my mom. He gave up cigarettes because it was that or, you know. So it was the, the death, the threat of death that got him to give up smoking. So we're going to use that as our motivation. I looked up this year. There's 366 days, leap year this year. Anybody know how many hours there are in 2024? 8,784. How many hours in a week? Anybody know this one? A lot, especially when you have math homework. 168 hours in a week. So already down 168 hours plus, you know, 10 and two-thirds hours. We still have 8,600 hours to go in 2024. And it's our classic time to do New Year's resolutions. The point of New Year's resolutions is to be a better person, and our motivator, you know how it goes, the gym is full for the first few weeks, the bike path is full for the few, first few weeks, how do we make these changes in our life, not just changes, but, but us, who we are? And so I won't ask for a show of hands of how many people make New Year's resolutions, but... There are things that we could do more of. There are things we could do less of. And there are things we should stop doing altogether in order to become the person that we were created to be, to be a, a better version of ourselves, to live up to who we were created to be. And we're going to use that time motivation, that death motivation. We don't have any guarantee that we have anything more than this day. This is the, door the, the, this is the day the Lord has made. You probably, statistically, you will live for all of 2024. Statistically, you're not dying this year. However, we each know people who will die in 2024. You may have a list of people in order that you would like for God to take. I, I just have one person on that list. You may have some people that you'd rather that not be there last year, but you're a little suspicious based on current circumstances. Odds are you're going to live through 2024. Odds are you're going to know people who don't. So we have a death motivation. We have a time motivator. 8,784 hours of 2024. We're down hundred seventy eight of those already now the biggest problem of people who work according to all the studies has been called time poverty of the 8,784 hours in 2024 we're spending way too many of those hours we just don't have time to do what we want so that whole third space idea go to somebody's house every week invite some people over to our house every week we don't have time we have time poverty so you can look these up on, online. My dad used to have us do, um, to write down our time. We would track our time. Because he would say, back to his Jewish days, my dad was a Jesus dad who talked like an old rabbi. That's what I had growing up. And my dad would say, you don't get paid for showing up at work. You don't actually get paid for being there. You don't get paid for trying at work. You get paid for producing. And if all you do is show up and all you do is try and you don't produce, eventually you will have another job, or at least the opportunity to go find another job. You don't get paid for showing up. You don't get paid for your effort. You get paid for producing. So he would say, let's track your time and find out how much time you're producing. So we had to be at school. And then back then there wasn't much homework, but there was some. And if you track your time of how much time you actually spend working, so I do this periodically throughout the year, I'll track my time. And he said, you can't count the time you're going to the bathroom, or going to get coffee, or you're doing that quick check online to see what's going on. None of that counts. It's not the stuff when you're at work, when you're pretending to work, that you're avoiding work. That's not not working. Actually track how much time you work. So for those who track time, they find that those of us who work, we spend 50% of our time working and sleeping. 50%. Half of every day, half of our year before it ever starts is already going to be spent working and sleeping. 8,784 hours, boom, cut in half, working and sleeping. Which means we have 50% of our time where we are awake and not producing. Producing that we get to choose what we're going to do. What are we going to do more of? Maybe exercise. Time with friends. What are we going to do less of? Maybe news. Maybe screen time. And what are we going to stop altogether? The, the smoking, the drinking, the, the processed foods, negative people, what are you going to just stop altogether? 8,784 hours, 50% of our time is up to us. That is what we're going to focus on as time poverty people. Those of us working, we want to produce. 50% of our time is ours. Two more uh, common problems for us time poverty people, stress and loneliness. So the classic approach on stress is we are more stressed the more we don't feel we have control in our life. The more you feel assigned and you don't have choices, the more stressed out we are. Remember that if you're a boss, how do you give your employees a little more autonomy? Still have to get the work done. you find, as a parent, we try to give kids appropriate choices. Appropriate choices. I really want to stress the word appropriate. We can't give the kids too much because then they'll get stressed out. They can't run the family, but to give kids appropriate amount of control. With each other when we're married, with our friends, with our family, if you find yourself stressed out at work, how much is it is that you just feel like I don't have control over this. Thanks to Jesus and our soldiers, each of us is in an amazing position. This, you get to decide with your 50% of time, what are you going to do first? What are you going to do next? And what are you going to do not at all? Every day we get to decide what are we going to do first? What are we going to do next? And what are we going to do not at all? Every day becomes every year. What are we going to do more of, less of, and stop doing altogether? My dad would say, do what you have to do so you are then free to do what, Jackson? What you want to do. Do what you have to do, the 50%. You have to sleep or you're going to die. You have to work and produce or you're not going to have the option to do anything but find a new job. Do what you have to do so you then can do what you want to do. It's the dinner before dessert approach to life. My mom was living here, my mom and dad were living here in Tucson near their end of their days. They were staying in one of our really cool old folks' homes here. Had a great time. If they'd known that was even a possibility, they would have moved into that place 20 years before. My mom goes in for a heart procedure. So she's in the recovery room. Jenny and I go see her. I said, mom, how are you doing? She's good. I'm hungry. I said. Oh. Well, I could ask, maybe it's time for you to eat. So, what do you want? She said, Cheeseburger. So, I go over and I said, My 85 year old mother is hungry and she would like a cheeseburger. And the nurse at the heart facility, well, she had a reaction. She said, Oh, no, she has to be on a heart healthy diet from now on. So, I walk back over and I say to my very New York mother, Mom, uh, turns out you have to be on a heart healthy diet from now on. And my mom said, That's all right, I'll wait till I get out of here. Her dad, who lived to be a, a two weeks short of 95, and everybody said, ah, oh, if he'd only taken care of himself, a New Yorker born in 1890 who lived to be 95, I was stunned he made it that long. He would go out to the garage. That's where he kept his scotch because grandma wouldn't let it in the house. And he would have a shot of scotch every day. And they said, ah, oh, if he had just taken care of himself. The man lived to be 95 years old. He was in the trenches in World War I. Let's give him 95, shall we? Goodness gracious. But for the last 20 years of his life, He would start every meal with dessert. And because he was a New Yorker, he thought he he was funny, he would say, look, at my age, I don't know if I'm going to be around for dessert. So I'm going to just start with dessert, and then I'll fill in with the fruits and the vegetables and the meat and potatoes or whatever is available if I want to. That was my mom's approach to life. She hit 80. It was nothing but cheeseburgers and sugar for that woman. You could call her at 3 o'clock in the morning, and she would answer. She'd be up reading. Mom, shouldn't you go to bed? Yeah, I'll sleep tomorrow. It's like having a college kid a sober college kid just that you're responsible for. We, until we reach that stage, have to do dinner before dessert. So many of us live with the dessert before dinner approach. Well, I'm going to wake up in the morning, I'm going to check my phone, and I'm going to see what's going on in the world with the news, and then when I get home tonight, I'm, I've, got my, I've got this show I'm watching, I'm really invested in this show, and we put the dessert first. So it's a dinner-before-dessert approach to life. The Heavenly Father called it Sabbath approach to life. Use your God-given gifts to serve those around you, to produce. Use your God-given gifts to serve those around you. And then you have something to rest from. And the reason why it works is because it turns the wheel of momentum. When we do what we know we should do first, it helps us feel more confident and more in control of our life. Feeling more in control of our life reduces our stress. And that wheel of momentum moves in the right direction. A quick recap. We're building here towards something. I don't want you to miss it. So our motivation for our New Year's resolutions is time poverty. We only have so much time in a day in, in our life. And our creator of a universe, is, the creator of the universe has put us here on purpose. And whatever it takes for God to get our attention. For my dad, it was cigarettes and vague threats from my mom. Whatever it took for you to figure out that God might be real. Now, it was probably a person. My dad didn't come into church on his own. He wanted the hot chick, and so she was in church, and so there's where he ended up. We're brought to church by somebody, grandpa, grandma, mom, dad, somebody. The point of New Year's resolutions is to be a better person. So the next question is that we're going to be a better person in 2024 and our motivation is this time poverty. We have 50% of our life taken by work and sleep, but 50% is ours to make better choices. What are we going to do first? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do not at all? What are we going to do more of, less of, and not at all? If time poverty is our motivation, what's the point A better person to do what? What is the meaning of life anyway? We used to ask all the time, what's the meaning of life? And I don't hear it being asked much anymore. And I think because we think the meaning of life is to get to our next show. What are we watching? Our next scroll. I was going to say what it is you people do online, but I am 55 years old and I have no idea. Is Instagram still a thing? And whatever followed that yeah so when I get off the technology I, I don't even I haven't even I don't know three years ago was the last thing article I've read about this I think I tried to be on Facebook years ago and I checked it annually and people talked to me like I knew it was going on because they had Facebook something me and I don't know I just had to get out of the whole thing screen times aren't my challenge I I have other challenges that I'm working on. I am 20 years into being an Arizonan, and I am trying to be less of a New Yorker. That is my open goal. I announce it to my family all the time. They uh, respond in a way, mostly with laughter, that implies they haven't seen much of a shift yet. New Yorkers can be intense for no real reason. Lou, sitting right there from Boston, can appreciate this. He, uh, the Marines sent him to Ohio to go to school. And just being friendly can be a challenge for people in Boston. He was walking along and people would smile at him and finally stops him and he said, do I know you? Why are you smiling at me? It's not what we do where I'm from. So I've spent 20 years trying to become less of a New Yorker. So that is still an open goal and I don't, uh, I don't need to hear from you whether or not I'm succeeding. I'm already married. Alright? So I've established the goal with my wife and you uh, know you know we're working on it it's a it's a process it's a process jesus tells us the point of life what's the point of life why be a better person what makes this life meaningful what makes this life work what we're really seeking when we try to make new year's resolutions is i want to enjoy this more feels like i'm missing something it can be really we just had a christmas new year's vacation And we can wonder at the end of that, that's all there is? We had a great vacation in our house, but we can still wonder, hmm. Jesus tells us the point of life. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, uh, just trust me, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. God is God and you are not. A lot of rules, a lot of regulations, a lot of stories in the Bible. It all comes down. There's poems. There's all kinds of stuff, and it all comes down to love God and love others. A second is equally important. Love your neighbors as yourself. Everybody? No. Fortunately, if you don't live in Ohio, you don't have to be nice to anybody in Ohio. So that takes a great burden off. If God hasn't put someone in your life, they're not your responsibility. Now, there's the product of having a a Jewish rabbi in your home growing up. If God hasn't put them in your life, they're not your responsibility. My mom and dad were married a long time before I was born, and the only argument I ever saw them have, ever, the only argument they ever had, and it was an ongoing one, it wasn't like a shouting argument, but their discussion where they genuinely disagreed was my mom would hear of someone who needed help and she would want to write a check. And my dad would say, we don't know them. The Jewish approach to, to charity is very specific. Now, this is where the irony comes in, right? They didn't believe in God, but they believed in all those Jewish patterns. The Jewish, the old Jewish approach is you've been given a gift by God, and you've been given an opportunity to serve others with that gift, and that's where you get your meaning and your money. So as a result, 10% of that that comes in goes right back to God. 10% of what you live off of, you've got to give back to God. and You've got to trust that God's going to provide even more as a result. And that charity is specific. You're responsible for where that goes. You can't just write a check. I'll give a little bit there, and here's my go to Safeway. I'll just round up a dollar. Sure, there you go. I'm really giving back. You're not. You have to be involved. So when you give at church, you're involved at church, and you give ten percent at church. That's what it's talking about. Where you have to follow the money. You have a responsibility. It limits. So I've told this one years ago. I was living in London, and and they have those pound coins. Those things are great, worth about a dollar forty four at the time. And I'd have them in my pocket, and we'd be going down to the tube, and someone, probably a heroin addict, was sitting there, and they were asking, they had their cup out. And I found it a great challenge to try to flip the coin right into the cup. Got pretty good at it. And finally, my friend Neil said, Ted, because he'd been with me in New York, he said, Ted, when you see someone on the streets of New York and they're asking for money, do you give them money? And I said, well, no. And he said, why not? I said, well, because I don't know them and I don't know what they're going to do with that money and I have a responsibility with the money I give away. Well, that's my money. And if I give it away, I'm putting my name on that situation. So I have to give it in such a way that it's helpful, and I can't just give it and say, "Well, God will take care of it." And he said, "Then why do you do it here?" And I said, "Because it's England, and I don't care about you people." No, what I <laughs> what I what I said was, "That's a good point." And so I didn't get much in my student days, but what I gave, I what I got, I gave my ten percent, and I. And I gave it to the Alpha Church, Nikki Gumble. That's where I was going to church. And I stopped flipping the coins into the cup, which was a real disappointment to me because I was getting good at it. There's a responsibility that we have. So are we responsible for everybody? Well, we love them in that everybody is created by God and everybody, regardless of their choices, deserves a basic understanding of we all matter. But it doesn't mean if I'm going to get involved in their life, I can just do it in a way that clears my guilt i'm going to get involved and let's get involved and we're limited how much we can do with that so love your neighbor as yourself everybody no they're your neighbor everybody matters but you have to care about your neighbor if god hasn't put them in your life they're not your responsibility in love your neighbor as yourself which means we have to love ourselves at some level you're like, well, good, I don't really care for myself, so I'm, that's good. I treat the neighbors better than I do myself, so I'm off the hook on this one. Well, God created you. We're supposed to appreciate that while we're not everything we could be, we are valuable because we are created by God, and we're supposed to live up to that. So how do we love ourselves? What are we going to do more of? What are we going to do less of? And what are we going to stop doing altogether? Jesus said all the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So read through the Bible and read through your life of that lens. Love God and love others. End of story. Responsible for everybody in the world? No. Does everybody matter in the world? Yes. It does make them your personal responsibility. The point of life, Jesus's point is, the point of life is relationships. That's why we're here. That's why we're, we are created, those third spaces. We trade in face-to-face interaction for the screen, and we're the ones who suffer, and those around us suffer. The eternal relationship we're invited into, our model relationship is the Heavenly Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are invited into that eternal relationship. Jesus was quoting from the fifth book of the Bible Deuteronomy chapter 6 when people were asking the same questions of how do we live a successful life? How do I have financial success? How do I have success in my marriage? How am I a good parent? How do I have good friends? How do I have good health? God's plan for success in the world he created is to love God and love others relationships. Think about who you liked to purchase from. Back in the day I used to love to go out to eat until it became ridiculously priced. I don't enjoy going out to eat anymore, but man, I used to. And it's fun to go someplace where you have a basic relationship established. We like to give people money because we have a basic working relationship. That's who we like to have a... The old Jewish understanding of money is God invented money to make relationships work. Because on our own, we would navigate into an isolated situation like we're doing right now. We can order things online. They get delivered. You don't see the person. Isn't it weird when the Amazon guy rings the doorbell and you go to the door and he's still there? What's going on? We had one this week. They dropped off my gift. They were picking up a return. And I said, ah, come on in. And they just, there was two. I don't know if this guy was delivering. This guy was picking up. It's a very efficient system, obviously, there at Amazon. And I said, come on in. And they just looked at each other. We're not allowed to come in. And please stop talking to us. We can self-isolate. So the reason why God invented money, according to the, the Jewish understanding, is money encourages relationships. I need some money and so I'm willing to work with you and you need some money and so the product and service or good that I have and so you give me money and we interact. That's how the system is set up. When we wander off and we focus on the wrong things, you know what starts to happen? We We start expecting people who are clearly nuts to stop annoying us. Can I get an amen? Whew. There are people in this world who are just nuts. And we think, well, I just need for them to stop annoying me. I don't know. Maybe you take a fast from that person. The way to deal with stress is to take control of your own life. You get to choose what to do first, what to do next, not at all. And the way to handle the list of not at all is to take a fast. Well, I can't. Try this one. Take a news fast. If you find the news is getting to be too much, Every time you finally interact with another human being, you know what uh, what they're doing over there. I grew up with, my dad would mock. I grew up in kind of the two-tiered society, as many of you did. There were the very wealthy and there were the not wealthy. And this group over here would say, you know what they should do is, and it was always something usually that made their life easier. And then my dad would listen to this, and he'd point out later, well, if they did that, they'd be out of a job altogether. So what they should do is, what they should do is, that's what I grew up with. And my dad would say, anybody that comes at you with what they should do is, mentality isn't focused on their own life. If you want to tell everybody else what they should be doing, you are missing what you should be focused on. My mom would say, your business is in front of you, mister. We have to work on our own stuff. So take a news fast if you need to. I check the headlines to see what's going on in general. Apple News knows I love the stories of when animals attack because that's always what I click on. So you look at my Apple News feed, and, oh, this was a great story. So I, I, I'll skip the name of the guy. Maybe you know him, but he, was, he lives in Hawaii. Well, he used to. Up until last week, he lived in Hawaii, and he's out surfing, and he got eaten by a great shark. And the story said the shark was the size of what, Jackson? A pickup truck. In case you wonder what goes on in the minister's house, these are the news stories we're reading out loud. Right? And then the the alligator stories. I really, really enjoy the alligator stories. My wife and brother used to live near Miami. and And high schoolers, as teenagers, middle schoolers, they'd want to go swimming. And because, you know, Florida bunch of hillbillies there was a canal they didn't have a swimming pool they had a canal and they would check for alligators before they would jump in with their friends i i am stunned my wife is alive frankly is what i'm telling you i love those kind of stories but the rest of the news i've kind of taken a fast from it it's not helpful to me. I have a general idea what's going on. I read the headlines, but maybe for you, you've reached a stage where you need to take a fast from the news. You've you've gotten way too deep into it, and you find yourself using the phrase, what they should do is, then take a news fast. Maybe for you, it's a social media fast. I was picking up uh, the the eight-year-old at school a couple of weeks ago, and one of the moms, you know, you know your kid friends, moms, kids, parents, right? So I walk up, and hey what's going on and with like this embarrassed look she was on her phone it's like oh what have I interrupted and she shows me so I'm just scrolling and she was embarrassed by it okay well maybe you need to take a social media fast I did not say but if you find that you look at the and and when you're done you don't even feel better about yourself maybe it's time to take a social media fast Maybe it's screen time in general. I enjoy watching, I enjoy reading about sharks attacking surfers in Hawaii. Sure, why wouldn't I? I love Jesus. Well, I don't know. I'm just fascinated that God created those kind of animals, frankly. I mean, there's uh, seven javelinas sleeping outside where the kids are. Your kids right now, they're just looking out the window. When I looked out, one javelina's eyes are open and he's looking at us and the others are just out Okay, well, this is where we live. Because, I don't, do we post a sign, watch every step that you take? I don't know what we're supposed to do around here. We need to take some fasts. On occasion, I have to take a Yankees fast. Right now, I can't get enough Yankees information because there's none. But I can't just sit down and watch a three-hour baseball game. It's on, on the radio in the background, and on occasion, we'll watch a half an inning on, on the app but I can't just spend my life watching baseball three hours a day. And even when it's on in the background, sometimes I have to take a – it, it's it's a problem. You, you've seen heroin addicts. I'm Ted, and I like the Yankees. And sometimes I have to take a baseball fast because I can't handle it. It's too much. So screen time for you, negative people, food. Maybe it's not food in general. Maybe it's processed food. Or maybe the holidays hit you. And intermittent fasting is very popular these days. There's the Old Testament dietary laws. And an old Jew would tell you that it's not just that it's not healthy for you, but that on occasion you have to say, no, I'm not going to partake in that, even though I could, just so I can better appreciate what I can. Because otherwise, it's just the monster of more. And no matter what we eat, it's never quite enough. So instead of spending 11 hours every day interacting with your screens, knock it down. Ten and a half, right? Let's set a goal. Let's, let's cut down the screen time. Let's cut down the news. Whatever is affecting you negatively, let's address that this year. And our motivation is we only, if we work, 50% of our time is taken. The other 50% we're supposed to be focused on people that God has put in our life. Why would we fast? Because things aren't as good as they could be. So here's an Old Testament scripture. If everything's great in your life, then don't fast. I don't need to cut down on food. I'm okay. For an old guy, I'm okay. My boozing habits, they're within reason. went to the liver doctor, and he's like, wow, your liver's in great shape, so you never drink? It's like, oh, no, every opportunity I get, I just, you know... Don't have enough opportunities. Apparently I'm looking for more opportunities is really what I get. So I'm not fasting from, I, I've already had, because I'm old, I had to fast from processed foods. I don't, I'm not that engaged in screen time. But I've got my own things I need to fast from, mostly the Yankees and being a complete New Yorker. That's what I'm trying to fast from. You don't fast when everything is great. You fast from something that's making your life worse. Here, let's go to the Old Testament. It is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. We fast because it's not good. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is, what's that word? Time. It's our motivation. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. This is serious. The, the, oh God, I need your help on this. For my dad, it was cigarettes. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. God's not mad at you. He's got hopes for you. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Brrr, okay, well, instead of I I don't know what a ram's horn is, we could step over a javelina dropping, right? I don't know. It's not the same. But there's a sheet out in the lobby, and it has your name, your contact, your email information, and what it is you're fasting from. What? I'm going to put my name on it? Yeah. And then Dan, who's out sick today, is starting January 15th. We're going to have two weeks to sign up for this, and then we're going to say, okay, we're declaring a 10-day fast for the rest of your life? No, for 10 days from social media, from news, from from processed food, from one meal a day, whatever it might be for you. We're going to do this together. We're going to put our name on it. And Dan, starting Monday, January 15th, he's going to send out a daily email to encourage us. For my dad, it was cigarettes. For you, what is it? The Lord says you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Till his dying day, my dad would have told you the cigarette thing was a miracle. That's how the God of the universe spoke to my dad. So how is he speaking your language? We you want to give him a chance. Praise the Lord your God, meaning instead of that meal, we're going to take a little time and spend that time with God. Break from screen time, spend that time with God. Every day, Nikki Gumble outlines, explains to me what I'm about to read in the Bible, and then someone with a great voice reads me the Bible. Beginning of the year, we're in the first part of Genesis, we're in the first part of Matthew. That's what we're going to do. You will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Then you will know, I am among my people. God isn't dead, He's here in your life. That I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Then, after doing all those things, we have to do our part. I will pour out my spirit. It requires some sacrifice, and then we will see God. There's an incredible concept. I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Big promises from one who created the stars and gravity. We pray, we do our parts, and we choose. What are we going to do more of? What are we going to do less of? What are we going to fast from altogether? And we're going to do this together. So stress is to take control of your own life. The answer to loneliness? Community. So we're going to tackle our time poverty, our stress of feeling out of control to do what's first, next, and not at all together. We're going to sign up. So it's this week and next. The sheet's in the lobby. Put down your name, your email that you want Dan to send it to. And what are you going to fast from? January 15th, Monday, we're going to do a 10-day fast, a biblical fast. Stop doing something altogether and spend a little bit of that time focusing on God. Sounds revolutionary, doesn't it? Being more excited about a sports team than the people in front of me is crazy. Crazy. It shouldn't be that tough. You know why I'm so cocky about the January 15th 10-day fast? Spring training doesn't start till February. <laughs> so choose wisely. You're going to take a news fast. I don't know. Don't do it right before elections. Or maybe that's exactly when you need to for the sake of your sanity. Being more excited about a TV show or a fantasy world than finding genuine meaning through loving God and those around us is crazy. So take a fast and spend that same time of your 8,784 hours in 2024 listening to people around you, caring for people around you, some well-timed financial generosity to someone specific. We have someone every year who hands me an envelope of cash and says, give this to somebody who participates in the life of our church and would appreciate this. I did it this year i don't know how much is in there it's a thick envelope might have been torn up paper and some ones for all i know but i assume it's a substantial amount of money a simple meal for someone invite people over we used to say go to lunch with someone but if you've got that kind of cash let's give more to church can i get an amen invite someone over And when the time is right, invite someone to church. Actually read the Bible and its wisdom. Bob Goff is a Christian writer. He's a lawyer. And he said, I bet next to grace, forgiveness, next to grace, I bet God thinks his best idea is the fact that we need each other. So in 2024, we're going to focus on third spaces, not just Sunday, but one evening a week going to go to someone's house or they'll come to your house. I know it's crazy, but let's fast first and let's see if we can get the God of the universe to be alive in our life, to have a relationship like we maybe have never had or haven't had in a long time. And once we start doing less of some things and stop a few things altogether, we'll have some time for what we should do more of, which is friends, relationships, will solve loneliness and lack of meaning when we remember we're part of a team. Coach Jesus is the greatest coach of all time. And his halftime talk is love God and love others. Our family, our friends, our co-workers, our golfing buddies, our school drop-off friends. Here's something you might miss. We are an influencer with our oikos, New Testament word, our household. Eight to 15 people roughly for most of us. You show up at school drop-off and you're in a bad mood, you can ruin someone's day. But you show up and smile. One of my wife's friends said to her years ago, I always forget that your husband's a minister because every time I see him, he's smiling. I don't know. Does that mean I'm not a good minister is that an indictment of other ministers? I don't know. We are an influencer with those around us. The New Testament, first written in Greek, talks about that Greek word, Greek yogurt, oikos, a lot. We'll go with oikos. So you don't be odd. You be your usual charming self. Mark wrote this for us in the New Testament Go to your oikos and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. We're going to take a break from a few things. We're going to do more of a few things. We're going to read the Bible more. We're going to be more intentional with God. We're going to take a break on a few things and see what happens. 8,600 hours left to do it in this year. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have a plan for us. Would you give us the courage to trust that if we step towards you, you will move towards us in ways that will amaze us. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, that ABC approach to the relationship with you, A, is to admit we are sinners. We do not even live the life that we aspire to. Say nothing about the life you created us for us to live. B is to believe that Jesus is the one who forgives us, makes us worthy to be on this lifelong adventure with you that lasts all the way into all the way into eternity. And C is to choose to choose to spend this day living up to who you created us to be. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said. Amen.